Good morning. Will you guys stand up? Will you come in, inside here and join us? Let's celebrate together. Let's worship our Savior together. Let's declare to one another and to God the joys of knowing Jesus. Amen? firm a foundation, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith and his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, he is with us. So be not dismayed, for he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand, upheld by his mercy. great truth to start off with, right? We're so glad you guys are here with us, and uh, I'm thankful to be here together with you. This morning, we are going to be talking about Zacchaeus. 
And now that song is in your head, right? Sing it with me. Just kidding. That's our next song. I'm just kidding. You want to sing it. We'll sing it at the end of the service. <sighs> We're talking about Zacchaeus this morning. And I want to read to you from uh, 1 Timothy because I think this is important for us to understand as we think about Zacchaeus. Um, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Something we need to understand about Paul is he calls himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. And, uh, and the Pharisees hated tax collectors. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. And yet here Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, puts himself below the tax collector. He says, I'm the worst of sinners and Jesus came for me. And if he came for me, he'll come for him and for you and for you and for you. And so this morning, as we sing this song, as we declare the goodness of our God to send his son, Jesus Christ, for us, you might be standing here thinking, one, I'm the worst of sinners, and this is not for me. I'm not worthy of this. Or two, you might be standing next to the person that you think is the worst of sinners and that they're not worthy of it. Well, guess what? None of us are, and yet Jesus came for us. Amen? And so as we can sing this song and worship him and declare the goodness of God, that he calls us each by name and he sets us free from ourselves. Amen? Amen. choose the humble and raise them high you choose the weak and make them strong you heal our brokenness inside and give us life same love that set the captives free the same love that opened eyes to seize calling us all by name all by name the same God that spread the heavens wide the same God that was crucified is calling us all by name you are calling us all by name you take the faithless one aside and speak Yes. 
we thank you that because of your sacrifice, because of your life, your death, and your resurrection, that our Father has called us to himself, has brought us to himself in you, and as we put our trust in you, we are now given the right to be called children of God. What a wonderful thing. So God, would you be magnified through us as we continue, as we hear from your word and learn? Would you, in us, uh, work the Spirit through us to help us understand, to transform us, to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you are uh, with us this morning on this weekend. One of our desires as a church over the next year and the years to come is to see us continue to grow in our engagement in missions work. The Lord calls us to go and make disciples, to be witnesses for Him from our neighborhoods to our nations, and uh, calls us to be a church that lives on mission, making disciples who make disciples both locally and then globally. And so we're encouraging community groups, for example, to, to go out and serve and find ways to be on mission this summer, and we'll be doing the same thing in the fall and spring of next year. We're also encouraging uh, students to be involved in Mission Peoria, this summer, and details are in your program about that, and you can talk to Pastor John about that. In August, uh, Pastor John's going to be leading a living 3D gathering. Uh, you can find details on that on the back of your program, but a gathering talking about how to share the good news of Jesus Christ with uh, those around you. In 2018, we also want to offer opportunities for you to be engaged in cross-cultural mission work through short-term mission trips. Uh, the one that we know of, and there might be others in the future that we uh, that come up, but one that we know of is happening spring break of next year to Guatemala. And Brad Lehman, if you want to come up, uh, the Lehman family is going to be going down, and this is an opportunity for uh, you to hear more about the trip and 
possibly be involved. Good morning, Crosspoint. Um, Eric and I are excited um, to invite the body at Crosspoint to uh, come on an adventure with us. Um, the word says we are called according to his purpose. And part of that purpose is the Great Commission, right? To go and make disciples. Um, and for, so for the last year and a half, Eric and I have had a kind of ups and down roller coaster. Many of you know our stories. But God has a purpose for us still and where we're directed and where we're heading. Um, and part of what um, that, load, uh, that road is leading us to is getting involved a little bit with Life Song and through Life Song. Um, with our heart with the Hispanic culture is introducing us to a couple that is in Guatemala currently um, with the Village of Hope. Um, Todd and Amy Block, or were originally local to this area, have gone down there and in the last five years have started an orphanage there. Um, so as Dave said, over spring break of next year, um, we're looking forward to taking a team down there. Um, we have as little as 10, up to 30. Our family already makes the minimum almost. So we're just looking for people to join us in a, uh, on, this, um, on this neat trip. So um, I do have a little short video that we'll watch to kind of explain a little bit what's going on, and then I'll give you some more details. So it just gives you a little bit of a background of what they're trying to accomplish at Village of Hope. Um, Right now, we have the date set for April 2nd through the 8th. It's the day after Easter, so we can all be here um, spending time with, at Easter with our families. Um, but I'll be around afterwards to be able to, to answer questions or talk to you, but we would love to, to, to grow a group from uh, Crosspoint to join us down there. Thanks, man. So you'll see more about that. Um, probably in the next couple weeks as far as uh, electronic communications and website stuff. But if you have questions, talk to Brad or Erica about that. Our first impression team members are going to begin handing out the connection card booklets now. I want to draw your attention to a couple things as you're, handing, uh, as you're uh, filling these out. If you're new with us, uh, fill out that gray section. Let us know you're here. If you're not getting any communications from us, uh, fill that out as well so we can uh, update our database and then a couple next steps one is baptisms are happening next Sunday we have two cross pointers so far getting baptized so if that's a next step for you mark that box and then if you're not serving in a ministry yet mark that box and uh, we will be uh, in contact to help you connect to a ministry this summer to try out before we get in the message I want to share with you an update on our elder team uh, so uh, just to keep you aware and so you can be praying and so you can be engaged in this uh, first of all, my heart as a pastor is so greatly encouraged uh, to be alongside the, uh, uh, these men, to be alongside their uh, unity, their faithfulness, their, um, uh, their humility as a team. On our team right now is myself and Pastor Eric, Ron Peterson, Kevin Funk, and Brad Lehman. It is a joy to work alongside these brothers. I have enough friendships and interactions with fellow pastors to know that uh, joyful co-laboring among an elder team is rare. Sadly, but that's the case. Here, it's not rare. Uh, I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful to see the evidence of his grace in the relationships among us as a team. A lot of that work of an elder is behind the scenes, shepherding a people, serving in ministries that are not necessarily platform-related, leading community groups, uh, meeting with people, 
gathering as a team to pray and look at the Word and to uh, do the work of overseeing the local church. And what I can tell you from a behind-the-scenes view is that these men love the Lord, and they love you. Uh, and They love this church, and they are all in, if you will, seeking to humbly follow our Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Since early 2017, Kevin Funk has been uh, sharing with the elders that he sensed the Lord was calling him to a season of sabbatical and rest from the elder team. Kevin has served as an elder for five years and has been a faithful, loving, Christ-like shepherd uh, to cross-pointers, and many of you have experienced that firsthand. I'm grateful for his friendship that, is long, that has been uh, much longer than just an eldership, but his friendship uh, for many years and how God has used him to shape my own heart and shape my ministry and my uh, compassion for people. I'm thankful to call Kevin a brother who has uh, come alongside to spur me on. With Kevin sharing that he was desiring a season of rest as an elder team, we then began praying, okay, Lord, what is next for us as a team? Because uh, just asking the Lord for wisdom and clarity and direction because we didn't uh, see as an elder team of four being uh, healthy. We saw uh, only having a group of four, uh, not having a good plurality of leadership, nor having enough um, hands on deck to handle the labor that it is to uh, shepherd and oversee a local church. So through that season of prayer and discussion, we asked Phil Cooper to pray and consider joining the elder team. Phil began walking through a season of examination about his way of life in Christ, his doctrinal beliefs, his family, his past, his desires, and prayers for the local church. Uh, Paul encourages in the New Testament, he encourages people, uh, the church, to not lay hands on too quickly, to not just say, hey, my name is Dave, want to be an elder? Not have that kind of situation, but instead, you've got over a season of time, not just long before you talk about eldership, but over a season of time, you're able to watch and examine someone's way of life in Christ. You're able to watch how they love God, love people, and make disciples as a way of life and not as a compartment to their life. So you end up holding up their life to the qualifications of an elder that are talked about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You kind of hold that up as a filter, if you will, because the New Testament continually puts the greatest emphasis on leaders. It puts the greatest emphasis on the character of those leaders, their way of life. Not necessarily that they're able to do these things and they're competent. Yes, those are important. It places the greatest degree of emphasis, whether you're talking elders, uh, ministry leaders, pastors, on the character of those men. Because an elder is able to, is to serve as a model of what it looks like to love God, love people, and make disciples. As an elder team, we met Phil this past week for continued conversation. We walked away believing that it's God's will that Phil joined the Crosspoint Elder Team. The next step in this process is asking members of Crosspoint to express affirmations or biblical concerns regarding Phil to members of the Elder Team. If members were to see that his way of life does not line up with the qualifications talked about in 1 Timothy and Titus, we'd want members to share that with us. If members see that, yeah, we look at those qualifications and we see that in him and his family, then we'd want you to affirm that. We'd want you to share that not only with the elder team, but also Phil and Kelly. So uh, we're calling Crosspoint members to do that over the next couple weeks through June 11th to share those affirmations and or concerns with us. If we walk out of those two weeks with a sense of affirmation, then we intend to 
uh, pray and commission and lay hands on Phil as an elder on Sunday, June 18th. At this point, we anticipate that, that Kevin's sabbatical will be a season of 6 to 12 months, and then we'll reevaluate that and just trust the Spirit will be leading in the midst of that. Phil will be joining the team, not just during that season, but in an ongoing way. So thank you for joining us in prayer. Thank you for uh, coming alongside us to share affirmations, share concerns, pray with us as we, as an elder team and as a church, continue to walk and live by faith. God is at work, and there's no place I'd rather be than this church, and you need to know that. There's no place I'd rather be than this church. God is at work. God is at work among elders, among ministry leaders, among community groups, um, among ministries across this place. And so uh, I'm intending a lot of harvest to happen over the next 12 months. So uh, just be praying for us in that. If you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, get to the book of Luke chapter 19. Today we finish up our series called The Rescue Begins, and the next week we begin a uh, series called Stories and Signs, and that series will take us through August. That's going to be looking, continue to look at the life of Christ, parables, stories that he told, as well as miracles uh, in the latter part of, uh, of summer. If you haven't got the adult and student resources yet for that series, it begins next Sunday, but get those at Guest Connections, $4 a piece afterwards. Over the, over the past several weeks, we've looked at interactions that Jesus has had with people with Nicodemus, with uh, calling the first disciples, with the Samaritan woman, with John the Baptist. And today we look at Jesus encountering Zacchaeus. And there's often a common theme that results in when someone encounters Jesus, and it's this, their lives are changed. They're not the same after meeting Jesus. Yes, some still reject him, but others receive him. And such is the case to this day and will until he returns. Some receive Jesus and others are still rejecting. And all of us in this room are either doing one or the other. We're either receiving and continuing to receive Him into our lives or we are rejecting Him. And if you're rejecting Him, I pray that you would joyfully receive Him today. For those of us who have received and continue to receive Him into our life, remain connected to the vine, if you will, how has your life changed since meeting and receiving Him? How has your life changed? How has your attitude changed? How has your way of life changed? How has your belief, how has your beliefs changed? Because just like the stories in the Gospels, the truth is when you meet and receive Jesus, your life is changed. You don't remain the same person. Your heart has been transformed. A new spirit has been put within you. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that we were dead in our sin and now we've been made alive, that we've tr- crossed over from darkness to light after meeting and receiving Jesus. So how has your life changed? How is the gospel, how is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, transforming and has transformed your heart and life? For me, here are two ways. I got lots more than two, but here are two. The Lord has lovingly exposed my pride and grown me in me a desire to pursue humility. Just last night, uh, my mom gave me a envelope full of all sorts of old pictures. They're in the process of moving, and they gave me uh, just a bunch of random pictures and sixth-grade stories that I wrote and just everything that a mom would keep. Um, she gave that to me in this uh, manila envelope. And some of those were pictures of high school senior year. 
And so I asked my, asked my wife, I said, so how has, we've been dating since junior year, how has God changed me since then? Or what was I like and what did you kind of put up with or what did you, I mean, if we can remember 20 plus years. And the first thing she says, you were cocky. You were cocky. And a lot of that was sports related, okay? A lot of that was sports related, which bled into everything else. Um, so God's grown in me. I looked at the pictures going, yeah, that was one cocky guy right there. But God's grown in me a, a desire for humility. Because apart from the grace of God, I could care less to be humble. And so could you. I'd want my marriage to be about me. I'd want this church to be about, about me. I'd want um, everything to be about me. I'd, wa- I'd want to be the dominant one in the conversation. I'd want you to listen to me. I'd want to, I, wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be open to wise counsel. I'd say, I know, I know. I don't need to know anything from you because I already know it all. That would be my approach apart from the grace of God. But by His grace, He's growing in me a spirit of humility. And that work is not done. That work is continuing until the day I am done here on this earth. The Lord has also changed how I view what ultimately satisfies in this life. Apart from the Lord, my flesh would say that money and lust satisfy. But over time and by His grace, He has exposed those as empty and earthly desires that only leave me unsatisfied and actually lead me to destructive paths. Instead, what He's shown me is how if I live according to His ways, that His ways actually lead to life. They actually lead to joy. I've tried to live with hidden sin before. It doesn't lead to joy in my life. It leads to enslavement. God's desire, the gospel, is is freedom. That we would experience freedom in Christ. And so the longer I follow Him, the more I'm finding my ultimate satisfaction, if you will, in Him, in a relationship with Him, who I am in Christ. Not necessarily in following Dave's ways, but following the Lord's ways. So those are a couple big ones. Again, for you, how has Jesus changed your beliefs, your mind, your uh, relationships, your words, your actions? Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. He says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, meaning abusive, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul is talking about this before Jesus chapter in our lives. He says, and such were some of you, or another translation says, and some of you used to be like this. None of us can walk out of that list clean. None of us can. Because at bare minimum, we're all idolaters. Romans 1 tells us that we've exchanged our, the worship of our creator with creation. So none of us can walk out of that list clean. Because none of us can say that we worship God from, from birth above anything else. And such were some of you, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. After meeting 
and receiving Jesus, you've been changed. You are now in a right standing with God. The stain of sin is now washed away. You're now growing in your faith and made holy because of your faith in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross for you and I. If you receive Jesus joyfully in your life, you've got a before Jesus story and you've got an after story, a testimony of what you were prone to do apart from the grace of God and how God has redeemed that and who you are now in Christ and how God has changed that. In Luke 19 today, we get this very small glimpse over 10 verses. We get to see Zacchaeus's life changed. We get to see his before. We get to see him meet Jesus, what he does in that moment. And we get to see the after, the result of him welcoming Jesus into his life. We get to see a man's life changed. And I pray it would encourage us and remind us of how God is changing our lives. That we wouldn't say, oh, that's neat for Zacchaeus, but we'd recognize that the same work that he did in the Gospels is the same work he's doing to this day, changing lives. So I want to read all 10 verses, and then we'll work our way back through them. Uh, Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So verses 1 and 2 again. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. We talked about tax uh, collecting about a month ago when we looked at the disciple of Matthew and Jesus calling Matthew to himself. So Matthew was a tax collector, so was Zacchaeus. And so if you're a Jew like Zacchaeus, you've basically chosen to work for Rome and set up this uh, pyramid scheme, if you will, where you're charging taxes, you're giving Rome what's theirs, but then you're lining your own pockets with whatever's on top of that. There's no regulation on what you can charge for taxes and so you can uh, become filthy rich, which we can see here that Zacchaeus did as a result of tax collecting. And Luke tells us here that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now that phrase is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not used in relation to Matthew, but it's used here in Zacchaeus. So we can, we're not exactly sure what that means, but we can assume here that Zacchaeus is on top of the pyramid. He's head of the tax collecting uh, department in that area. And as a result, he is rich. Zacchaeus wanted to make the most money possible. He didn't care about the means of that. He wanted to get to the end of that, and that was wealth. Maybe being a little guy, he was mocked by people and said, you know what, I'm going to charge you this then. That could very well be the case. If you were a Jewish person and you went to work for Rome and you, you sold out in that way, you extorted from your own people, as a result, you were an out. Uh, outcast from the society. In the calling of Matthew, the, it talks about sinners and tax collectors, like it's a whole other echelon of sinning and bad when we look at a tax collector. 
And this is who Zacchaeus is. This is his reputation. This is his before Christ. This is who he's been for years. This is what he's known for. Verse 3, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We're not going to do this at the end because that's a terrible thing to close the service with. But we'll do it in the middle because it breaks up a message. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree that the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, we're going to stop. That's not. Now, um, you're welcome because the rest of today, and as you get up tomorrow morning, you'll be singing some Zacchaeus song. So you've got this really wealthy man who is the chief, the top of the tax collecting pyramid, and he's climbing a tree. This isn't normal. If you're a businessman, if you wear a collar to work, if you go to downtown Peoria and these, all these food carts are awesome, you don't see a bunch of men and women climbing trees. Probably not. Probably not. I was recently at a graduation party talking to a couple dads who have a bazillion kids between the two of them, and they were running everywhere. They were playing tag, and they were climbing the basketball pole and climbing trees and everything, and I'm just like, I don't even know where my kids are. One's driving somewhere, and the other, I don't even know, but they're teenagers, and that's awesome. And so just there's a freedom there. The freedom's coming um, if, you're, if you're knee-deep in that. So, but we are joking about, as adult men, we don't play tag anymore. Hey, I'm going to tag, freeze tag. We don't do that. We don't climb trees. But Zacchaeus, a businessman, is climbing a tree. It reveals a heart that is seeking and this is an undignified mood, move. This isn't normal. A heart that's being drawn to Jesus, it reveals a heart that's curious about this man named Jesus. It could very well be that Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus' interaction with Matthew, who was also a tax collector, and said, wait, Matthew gave up the, the wealth and the, uh, the tax collecting business to follow this man? I've got to go see this man. I've got to see who this is. But he's a short fellow. He's a stature of a hobbit and has to resort to climbing a tree in order to see Jesus. There's an element here of Zacchaeus seeking Jesus, trying to get a look at him. But then what you ultimately see is Jesus is the one seeking Zacchaeus. The Savior then, and to this day, is seeking and saving. If you're currently rejecting him, he's seeking you. He's pursuing you. Because he loves you, he created you. He longs to be in relationship with you. He's calling you to himself, and I pray that you'd, you'd receive and welcome him joyfully today. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus initiates right here. The crowd is large, the people are all pressing in, and, and, and Jesus calls out Zacchaeus in this moment. Out of all the crowd, he calls his name. Can you imagine the surprise that Zacchaeus would have had in that moment? Wait, he knows my name? How does he know my name? Who told him my name? Why did he call my name out? And he wants to come to my house? No one wants to come to my house. I'm the chief tax collector. No one wants to come over. Jesus has invited himself over. When our kids were younger, we strongly encouraged them, do not invite yourself over to people's houses. 
nowadays. Like, do not come out like backdoor way to your cousin's house, all right? But Jesus, he invites himself over. This is the Son of God. This is different. He's continually inviting himself over to our houses and our lives. The question we have to answer is, do we welcome him? Do we welcome him? Do we, do we receive him into our hearts, into our lives, into our homes? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Trevin Wax said in this moment, the seeker has become the sought. The seeker, Zacchaeus, has, become, has been sought by the seeking and saving one. And what does Zacchaeus do? He welcomes him joyfully. The ESV says he receives Jesus joyfully. Remember when the Samaritan woman in John 4, uh, she was so excited that she left her water jar, the thing she'd come to the well for, she left it and ran back into town because she just had to tell everybody about the man that she'd met and how that man had changed her. Or in John 9, the blind man, all the religious leaders, how this happened, who did this? All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And he, Jesus, did it. There is this joy associated when someone meets and receives Jesus. That should be a natural byproduct. We see it all over in the Gospels. Joy, not misery. If someone spins the Gospel around that, the, that you meeting and receiving Jesus should lead to your mis misery, that's a Gospel of man's works and man's law. It should lead to joy. It should lead to freedom. That's what we see all through the Old Testament and all in the New Testament. This is more than just receiving the person of Jesus into his home. This is receiving into his heart and life. And he's not joyfully receiving a list of rules, a set of religious beliefs, a system of religious beliefs, or a system of worship. He's joyfully receiving the person of Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth, who we worship in spirit and in truth, who called Zacchaeus by name and said, hurry, come down from there. Just like the disciples, just like the Samaritan woman, just like Paul in the book of Acts, Jesus is continually calling us into relationship with him. He's calling us to welcome him, receive him. He's not looking to be a side part of your life. He's not looking to welcome him into your home and then leave him in the corner and then pick him up on Sunday mornings or pick him up when you're in crisis or pick him up when things go bad. But besides that, you can just leave him over there. No, he wants to be the foundation of your life. Because when he's the foundation of your life, when he's the center of your life, then your life 24-7 begins to shape and transform and become like Christ. What you're building above the ground then when he's your cornerstone looks different than it did before when you were building on the shifty sands of your own knowledge, your own wisdom, your own skill. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out in the midst of the crowd, a crowd that knows who Zacchaeus is. He's the chief tax collector. He's hated. He's seen as unclean to this crowd of Jews. Verse 7, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. People are wondering, why would a rabbi hang out with a tax collector? Why would the righteous eat with the unrighteous? Why would the clean enter the home of someone who is unclean? But this is who Jesus is. He has come to seek and save the lost. He hasn't come in order to, to try to remain far off. 
He has come in the flesh to be near, to dwell among us, to set up a tent, to tabernacle among us so that we would welcome him joyfully. See, the crowds have written off Zacchaeus. He's beyond saving. He's beyond the reach of God's grace. Because they're assuming that God's grace never runs in that direction. It never runs in the direction toward the tax collector. But this is what the gospel does. It makes streams of living water through the desert. It brings dry bones to life. It brings living hope in the midst of hopeless situations. See, God is in the business, according to 1 Corinthians 1, of choosing fools, the insignificant, the despised, the weak, people like you and me, and calling them to himself so that we would not boast in our greatness, but we would boast in his. Because he is our righteousness, he is our freedom. Who have you written off? Who have you written off? Who have you assumed that streams of grace would never run in their direction? Maybe it's yourself. That's a Samaritan woman. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's someone in your family. Family were typically uh, quick to write off. Maybe it's a friend. May we repent of such self-righteous and hopeless and faithless thinking. If the Lord can save us and rescue us from our sin, we are living testimonies that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. So may we confess our unbelief sometimes when it comes to who and how God is restoring and reconciling and pursuing and seeking and saving. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, the saving one, has brought salvation to this house, salvation through faith and by the grace of God. Zacchaeus has become convicted of his sin his way of life, how it's contrary to the ways of Jesus. What you see, see here is the fruit of repentance taking place. Repentance has taken place internally in his mind as he has agreed with Jesus and his teachings, and a change of mind then has resulted in a change of action. When you welcome Jesus into your life, your life has changed in an instant. And then for the rest of your life, he continues to change you and transform you by His grace and by His power and by His word because He's faithful to finish what He has begun in you. Gospel change is always inward to outward. It always starts in our heads and our hearts and then overflows to changed actions. It's never the other way around. John the Baptist says in uh, Matthew 3.8 to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In that chapter, he's talking about a tree that only bears good fruit when its roots are at the core of it are good. So what we see Zacchaeus here, what we see happening is the core of him is changing. Jonathan Pennington said this, Zacchaeus' giving is not an entrance requirement or necessary model for our own application of the gospel, but it is a model of the proper and natural response to God's saving grace toward us. So don't misunderstand this. 
Zacchaeus is not being saved because he's giving his money. He's not being saved through the work of giving. That's not what the whole of Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches continually in James and 1 John and Ephesians 2 is that changed hearts result in changed actions. Faith leads to works. Loving God leads to selfish and, or selfless and uh, sacrificial love of others. Works do not save. They reveal that our hearts have been changed and transformed. So when a person truly repents, it's this internal heart and mind change that leads to an outward fruit. It's fruit in keeping with repentance. See, the Pharisees were all about trying to show their, their amazing fruit of their lives, but at their core, at the root, was still bad, still far from God. And so for us who claim the name of Christ, we must be continually reminded that Jesus is after our hearts. He's seeking to transform our hearts This is what we see in Zacchaeus. This inward change leading to an outward change. Generosity is flowing from a heart that was once greedy. Grace has transformed a greedy heart to be a generous heart. Jesus told us in Matthew 6 that we can't love both God and money. We cannot serve both God and money. We can't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and yet love money to the equal degree. Money is not evil. Wealth is not evil. The love or money is the root of all evil is what Scripture tells us. Because it means that you'll trust more in money than you will in Almighty God. When God calls you to be generous, you'll say, I don't know, I don't think I can do that. Or when God calls you to, when Jesus says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, you go, mm, I, I don't know, I, th I think I'll seek my own kingdom and trust that will work out better. Let's compare these two stories as it relates to money, Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. The story of Jesus encountering the rich young ruler is told in Mark 10. It starts in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. I love that. Jesus loved him and said to him, still spoke truth. You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he, went, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The rich young ruler was unwilling to lay down the idol of money. He was unwilling to worship Jesus supremely. To follow Jesus means that everything else will be second in your life. He is Lord over all of it, and the rich young man was unwilling to do that. The command to give it all just exposed the idolatry in his heart. And he walked away sad because he was unwilling to let go of that idol. Zacchaeus, though, is a different story. He releases the idol because he's met something, or better said, someone greater. Zacchaeus was, was willing to give up treasure in this world so that he might gain the treasure of knowing Christ and being known by him. And the rich young ruler ends up gaining the whole world and yet losing his soul. He loses out on forgiveness, new life, 
eternal joy, eternal rest. He trades what is eternal for what is temporary. Zacchaeus made this transition from trusting in wealth to trusting in the Lord, from rejecting to receiving, and it led him to move from greedy to generous. Author John Bloom at Desiring God wrote this short story imagining an encounter that Zacchaeus would have had with someone who he calls in the story Judah. And Zacchaeus comes to Judah's door in order to pay back four times what he has defrauded from him. So imagine this moment. Dad, there's someone at the door. He said his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus? Judah's face flushed with sudden anger. What does he want? Under his breath, he muttered, the little vermin. His young daughter didn't need to hear that. I don't know what he wants, she said. Judah moved abruptly past his daughter, clenching his jaw. If the little weasel even hints at more money, I swear. A thunderstorm of violent thoughts broke in his mind. When he saw Zacchaeus, he exploded, what? Zacchaeus reeled slightly from the verbal blow. I'm here to return something to you, Judah. What do you mean? The words sounded more like, get out of my sight. Zacchaeus held out a small money bag. Judah was suspiciously confused. This, mo- this man had robbed half of Jericho, collecting taxes for Tiberius. No one was more conniving and slippery with words. Fearing some kind of setup, Judah didn't move. What are you doing, Zacchaeus? The cynicism hissed through Judah's teeth. I'm dismembering my idol. Judah's fiery glare turned to stony bewilderment. What are you talking about? Judah, I know how strange this must sound, and you have every reason not to trust me. I'm here because I've defrauded you. I've charged you more taxes than Rome required and kept them from my wicked little self. I know that you and everyone else knows that, but now I've come to ask your forgiveness for sinning against you like that and to make restitution. That's what's in this bag. Zacchaeus held it out again. This time Judah tentatively took it. He looked inside. There's a lot in here. It's got to be more than you overcharged me. Yes, it's four times what I overcharged you. I've got all the records, you know. Zacchaeus smiled. Why are you giving me four times what you owe me? Judah's distrust was not dispelled. I'm keeping a vow. I promised Jesus that I would repay everyone I defrauded fourfold. You mean Rabbi Jesus? You know him? I do now. He's in town, as you know, and the other day I wanted to get a glimpse of him, but being ah, short-legged, I figured the only way I'd see him was from a tree. Wouldn't you know, as Jesus passes by, he stops, looks up at silly me in the sycamore and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Judah gave him a puzzled look. Zacchaeus said, I know, I know, I was as shocked as anyone. How did he know my name, right? So Jesus and, Jesus and his disciples come to my house, and in a matter of minutes, my world falls apart and comes together. Falls apart and comes together? Judah, when I was a boy, I was in awe of what I thought money did for people. It seemed to open all the doors to power and pleasure, so I vowed to myself that whatever I took, that whatever it took, I was going to be rich, and I kept that vow. Back then, I had no idea how empty being rich would be. 
But up until two days ago, I figured it was still better than the alternative. But as I sat in my home with Jesus and his disciples who have nothing, nothing but God, Judah, I've never seen happier people in my life. And as Jesus spoke, it was like his words were alive. My heart burned with a longing for God I'd never felt before and a deep shame that I had traded him for money. Then it hit me like a cedar beam. I'm poor, not rich. They had God. I had a dead idol called money. They were rich. I was no more than a beggar. They were free, but the only doors money ever opened for me led to dungeons. My world, as I had known it, fell apart. And there sat Jesus looking at me as if he could read me like a scroll. Everything in me just wanted to follow him. I wanted the forgiveness and salvation he's been preaching about. For the first time in my life, I wanted God more than anything. Suddenly, it was like life never made more sense. Before I knew it, I was on, I was on my feet vowing in front of everyone that, well, I would dismember my idol. Give away your money? Right. Well, some of it is your money. This time, Judah smiled. Later, Judah's wife found him staring at a small money bag on the table. What's that, she said. A tax refund. A what, she said. I think we need to go hear Rabbi Jesus. Rabbi Jesus, why? I think we're poor. John Bloom finishes with this. Some of our idols need to be dismembered for us to be free of them. Jesus knows what they are and how to help us see them. It may feel like we are losing our world to lose them. That's okay. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Zacchaeus is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. The outward actions are flowing from an inward heart that is being changed. So again, I ask you and I have the question, how has Jesus changed your life? How is an internal change leading to outward change? As Jesus said, he has come to seek and save the lost because he has come for those who recognize their sin sickness and that their own efforts don't lead to healing, but instead the great physician. We run to the great physician because it's by his wounds that we are healed. He came to seek and save people like Zacchaeus, people like you and me, who are prone to wander and stray, go our own way, but then Jesus calls us by name. He says, hurry, come down from your striving. I want to eat with you. I want to be in relationship with you. So may we have hearts that joyfully receive and welcome him. And as we receive him joyfully, may we surrender every area of our lives to his loving lordship, including money. As the worship team comes back up, some of you are Zacchaeus. You're climbing up into a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe that's why you come on a Sunday morning, because you want to get a glimpse of Jesus in this place. Here's my loving encouragement to you in light of Zacchaeus. Receive Jesus joyfully. Receive Jesus no matter how you've sinned in your past. Receive Jesus knowing he calls you by name. Receive Jesus despite what others grumble and say. Receive Jesus without delay. Receive Jesus as a relationship. 
Receive Jesus in a spirit of humility and repentance. Receive Jesus into your home, into your most personal of spaces, 24-7. Receive Jesus as Lord over everything. Crosspoint, Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, this is the mission that we are a part of, that he joyfully commands us to join him in, that we would uh, lovingly and contagiously and boldly show and tell the good news with our way of life. And so may, we, may he wake us to the people that we've written off. May he humble us and remind us of the grace that we have been shown. May he continue to change us, make us more like Christ. And may he send us into homes and schools, workplaces and everywhere in between to be a light, to show and tell of the gospel. Let's stand up, let's worship, let's respond to the Lord in worship.
Father, as we take our offering this morning, as we continue in worship, let it be from hearts that worship. Let it be from uh, hearts that have received. And I pray that if we cannot do that, that we don't. But that you would be glorified in our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, you can just pass that on by.
2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Father, thank you for the truth of who we are in Christ. Thank you, the truth of how you have justified and sanctified, redeemed our lives. In light of tomorrow, we are grateful for the sacrifice for those who laid down their life for our freedom. And we pray that this week and this summer that we would use that freedom not to serve ourselves, but to serve you, to worship you, to serve and love others, that we would be people who would understand who we are in Christ and we would be his ambassadors as a way of life. We pray that people would come to know you, that streams of living water would flow through the deserts, and your grace and your kingdom would expand. We love you. We're grateful for who you are and that you've called us by name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy your week. See you back next Sunday. God bless.